Uh, my name is Israel Zapp, and I am the lead representative of the Our God Will Save Us organization. Today, I want to introduce to you this uh, this podcast entitled The Conversation with Israel Zapp. Today, I have my guest. He is an evangelist. He's a leader. He's becoming a dear friend of my life. He's one of my mentors. He's an amazing human being. I want to introduce you, AJ Holloway. AJ, my friend, how you doing? Thank you. I'm going to ask that the Lord will forgive you for <laughs> saying all that, and I'm going to have to <laughs> repent for enjoying it. <laughs> I'm oh, not going to lie to you, man. To be honest with you, I still can't get over the fact that you're wearing the rock oh, stuff. Man. Like, I just I just went to Dick's Sporting Goods the other day, and I seen his Project 3 shoes, and I'm like, dude. Yeah, I legit didn't even know what this was until yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it so much, man. You're here for a week right now. You were yeah. just uh, speaking at our church last night and Wednesday. You did a phenomenal yeah. job. You're Right now, you're about to go to Modesto as well on Sunday, That's correct? Right. That's right. What other spots are you hitting? I'll be back here right after the service in Modesto, mm -hmm. and they're talking about possibly uh, Sunday night going back to CLC. I was with them sun Wednesday morning. Wow. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm not sure how it's going to work out yet, but I'm just I'm here for the ride. <laughs> so on call. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. That's the life of an evangelist. Though. Earlier, we were talking about how you're actually you're a full-time student as well, correct, yeah. as yeah. well as um, being a full-time minister. That's right. How do you make time to go from, all right, I'm preacher mode to student mode? How do you just... Being super intentional. And um, so going from preacher mode to student mode is just humbling yourself and knowing you don't have all the answers For sure. and sitting down and listening and then regurgitating that and then still humbling yourself and going up to people and giving them a response to what you've learned. Right. Rather than here, I have all the answers. Right. Um, and I think that that's that helps uh, because God anoints what is first humble. Wow. And so when I yes. when I'm going in the pulpit, I don't assume that I have all knowledge. I have a response. Mm -hmm. So that's my process of going from student mode to preacher mode mm -hmm. is, OK, I've done the work of ingesting information through mm -hmm. classes and whatnot. And I've done the work of studying it out. Yes. And I still want to have that learning mode even in the pulpit. Wow. So you're a constant student of the word. Always. I, Always. I love that. I love that the Bible uh, writes and it says, uh, God rebukes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Yes, sir. You know, I, I love that so much. And it also comes out in the way that you speak, you know, I mean, and, uh, when it comes either behind the pulpit or when it comes to one-on-one -on -one conversation. Mm. You know, I mean, you're not the nose-to-the-air um, type of, follower if i can put it that way oh. you're very you don't put nose to the air you're rather eye to eye in jesus name well people best part of me is all the dead parts and <laughs> yeah any of the bad stuff you yeah. see that's all me uh, all the good <laughs> stuff i'll blame on the holy ghost that's 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 the best christian response but i love it <laughs> i love it so much the thing is with that though is the fact that you were mentioning how you're a constant student whether you're behind a desk whether you're behind your notebook you're still a student behind the word, even when you have your preacher suit on. Mm. The biggest thing that I feel in culture today, we're going to talk a lot about culture, preaching, life, ministry, we're going to talk about everything, you know, that's yeah. what I love about this podcast. Um, that's a lost art in society right now is, if I can phrase it this way, to be a student of conversation, yeah, to be a student of people. Because we live in a time of the information age. We have our iPads out, our iPhones, our MacBooks, our laptops, yep. our PCs. We we don't need to go to the library to borrow a book. We can just Google it. We can right. go on Amazon. We can get the Kindle. We can go on iBooks. We can go on iTunes. We can go everywhere. And we can get the information we need within a snap of a finger. That's right. Yeah. We live in a generation that feels that we know everything. 
that we'd rather talk, but we've lost, we've lost the art of listening. Yes. James writes, he says, be slow to speak and <laughs> quick to listen. That's right. Slow to speak, quick to listen. And I feel the biggest problem that we have in culture today is we're quick to speak. Yes. And slow to listen. That's the truth. Talk to me about how you how you're navigating that process of still trying your best to be, this is who I am, this is where I stand, but I will still give you an opportunity to, to speak and I'll listen. That's, um, quite honestly, that's still a journey I'm very much on because I feel like I do more <clears throat> talking than I do listening and I'm still trying to balance that out. And what has taught me the balance, or is teaching me, I should say, the balance <clears throat> is um, some of my closest friends. Wow. So after, um, people listening to this won't know our story, but I won't go into it in too much detail, but three years ago, our house burned down. Mm. Three-year-old son was trapped inside, and my wife and I lost our child. And after that, you know, I've been a preacher for 16 years, uh, coming up in August. I've had a lot, I have a lot of minister friends. Mm-hmm. And the ones who didn't help were the ones who were trying to give me a sermon. Wow. That was the ones, because, I mean, I'm a Bible nerd. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I knew the sermon. I knew your points. I knew I knew the voice and in, in inflections. I knew all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would be sitting there, and I'm just like, I don't need a sermon. I know everything you're telling me. Mm-hmm. And is, that may come across as arrogant, but I just mm-hmm. I knew all the points they were going to make. The ones <laughs> who said the most were the ones who didn't say a thing. Who just came in I, I remember it vividly a friend came and sat down for me and they he looked at me and he said what do you need me to do for you wow. what kind of friend do you need right now wow and i was finally that was the first time anybody had asked and i said bro i was like i just need you to listen to me and not think i'm gonna go off the deep end right wow i said i'm not gonna backslide i'm not gonna leave leave the church i'm not gonna do any of that i said but i am like hurt right now i just need somebody to listen to me without like worrying that i'm gonna walk away and he was like, I know you. He said, you're not walking away. He's like, hit me with it. Wow. And he signed up to get his day ruined because his, he, he was up here, you know? And then when he comes and sit in my living room, we're, in, we're living in grief, my wife and I. I just drug you down into the pit of, of despair, and he signed up for it. So looking back on that, I'm trying to be that. Mm. And in culture, <laughs> when you read about Job, culturally, the three friends – it was customary to not speak until the mourner spoke. Mm-hmm. That was the culture. And you don't see that Job's friends really get into much trouble until they open their mouths. And so it's just trying to be that, that person who really has, it's cliche, we've heard it a lot, but you have two, two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. So that's, that's, been a, that's been something I've been trying to do. I don't get it right every time. I won't dare sit here and try to say that I do. But it's discerning the, uh, the moments. When do, when do I need to speak and when do I need to listen? And I have found, just ask. Mm. Just ask because I don't know. Do you need advice or do you need ears? So now when somebody gets on the phone with me, I ask them, I say, do you want me to tell you what I know, what I've studied, or do you need somebody to just listen to you? And let them set the pace. Mm-hmm. And that's, then I'll ask permission. That's what I'm trying to do is like, okay, is it okay mm-hmm. if I say something right now? Mm-hmm. And just let, let the relationship set the pace. I love how you said that the ones who uh, were talked the most didn't say the most. No. It, it wasn't... Good content. Yes. Not at the right time. Not at the right time. I, I I, love how you said that. You know, I hate that that was the experience. All right. Yeah. But I feel like that's the majority of... I can only speak from the church population because that's where my life is. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like that's the majority of how um, 
followers of Christ operate, you know, yes. because it comes from a great place. At least sure. I, I, you know, try my best to believe so. It comes from a great place Absolutely. of if I can just give them a word, if I can just tell them a fancy story, if I can just look, you know, like, hey, I got the thing that you need. Yes. When in reality, the me- the best medicine that you can give me is just listen. Yes. You know, there have been so many times specifically for me this year where <clears throat> I scared a couple people, <laughs> you know, yeah. with some of the uh, statements that I've made. And I think that uh, people need to be scared in a sense sometimes. Yeah. Because you need to be able to be human. Yes. You, uh, and I say this with all disrespect. I may uh, not disrespect respect. Um, I may cross theological swords with some people who are watching. Maybe even you. I don't know. But. I'm not saying you need to take a break from being a Christian because you never take a break from being a Christ follower. Yeah. Rather, you need to take a break from putting on the suit 24-7. Sure. And you just need to put on your metaphorical PJs for a second and be like, this is my worst right now. Yeah. My worst is um, I just lost a loved one. My worst is for some people during COVID, I just lost my child. You know, my worst is I just yeah. lost my friend. My worst is my marriage is falling apart. My worst is I'm not going to say the right thing. But I just need someone to be there. Yeah. And the best medicine that I feel, especially in those moments, is like, let me listen to you talk. And I love how you were saying, I asked them if it's okay for me to respond. Yeah. I asked them, what do you need from me? Your one friend who said, what type of friend do you need from me right now? Yeah. That is a lost art in culture. It truly is. Yeah. That's a lost art in culture. Because right now, I, I, I listened to um, this, uh, this talk. It was T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick. Um, two of the greatest communicators in our generation currently. And Bishop T.E. Jake said this. He said, we've replaced our thinkers with tweeters. Mm. I want to rephrase that. And we've replaced our greatest communicators with people who just talk. Yeah. They just talk about anything and they're not saying anything at all. Yeah. Well, look, look at the honesty of this, though. Like, and I, I, I challenge people to be honest with me. Right. I asked him, I say, you know, like within our culture of Christianity, you know, the apostolic church, we're very enthralled with the gifts of the spirit. Yes, we are. And that's great. Um, this started in Azusa Street in 1906, <clears throat> and it was very, very uh, gifts of the spirit driven. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the gifts of the spirit is a word of knowledge. Mm. And basically it's I want the ability to read somebody's mail. Right. And those gifts have been they're still active, but not like they were. They've been shut down. And I've been in prayer about this. I God, I said, why? Why are the gifts of the Spirit seemingly like almost shut down? And this is what God told me. He said, because. He said, what this generation wants, they want the, the gift of word of knowledge. They want to just read somebody's mail. He said, and I've shut that down because I want you to have a conversation with them. He said, that has become not, not striving to help their brother through a word of knowledge, but just to eliminate this, this conversation. If I can read their mail, then I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't have to sit across from somebody and actually do the hard work. Mm -hmm. I can just know what's going on in their head, and I can move on with my life and not have to deal with the Mm nitty-gritty. Healing. Mm -hmm. Why do we have a pandemic going through our world right now? I believe, uh, this is is what I have felt in prayer, I believe that God is finally looking at us and saying, are you going to go visit them in the hospital? Are you actually going to pick up the phone and call somebody who has COVID and bring them a care package? What you really want is you want to just go and lay hands on somebody and see them healed because you don't want to deal with visiting the hospital. Mm. Wow. And so God is maturing us right now, and he's teaching us how to have this social injustice has become rampant. Wow, yes. 
Yes. And what we would like to do is we'd like to just quick fix. Let's go into a prayer room and fix it. Nope. What we go is we go to a prayer room, mm -hmm. we get empathy. Wow. We get Christ, and then we can go, and then we can go and sit down and talk with somebody. Mm -hmm. But we want the express-driven way, and God is like, I'm not fixing this for you. I'm going to be there with you. I need you to actually go be my hands and feet, though. Mm -hmm. And I've got... I, I don't have time to go into it, but I have enough scripture to choke a mule on that topic. Yes. I have yes. enough scripture and I can teach it in context. I can teach it in the original language that that was a large part of Jesus's ministry. I want to dive deep into that because, um, <clears throat> first of all, you're saying so much awesome stuff and I love it. I love it so much. I want to dive deep into the social justice topic. Um, because right now, um, you were talking about the pandemic. You're talking about all these different issues that we're facing yeah. with this year alone. Okay. Um, the biggest thing that I feel what you were talking about is God is not trying to enlarge our muscle. Mm -mm. He's trying to enlarge our heart for people. Yeah. I remember um, uh, Bishop Jeff Arnold, he said years ago, years ago, years ago at a Because of Time conference, um, he said the gifts work by love. Yes. The gifts work by love. Yep. If you don't have a love for people. And there's scripture for that. There's scripture. Okay, the Bible backs up. If you don't have a love for people, all right, even the Apostle Paul, he writes, if I have the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy or all these different awesome stuff, but I don't have love. Yeah. One translation writes, it's like a clanging cymbal making yeah. a whole lot of noise. It's worthless. Yeah. So I look at all these different topics and we go dive into from a pandemic to a social justice issue. People like George Floyd getting murdered. People like all these different instances throughout this year that have broken my heart it reminds me of uh pentecost sunday um this year it was the week that george floyd got murdered and i was in a spot um i was asked to preach um at this church and i was in a spot i had just read isaiah i was going through isaiah and i this one my third favorite book in the bible not gonna lie to you i love that book yeah and I was reading where Isaiah spoke to the people. And God was speaking through Isaiah, and he said, I do not want your uh, holiday celebrations. Mm -hmm. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your festivities. I don't want your fancy prayers. Mm -hmm. I want you to treat people kindly. I want you to seek justice. I want mm -hmm. you to take care of the widows. And when I seen that, mind you, I am preparing for Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, especially to Pentecostals or Charismatics around the world. We're looking at this church holiday. We're like, all right, the Holy Spirit came down X amount of years ago, Azusa Street, you know, all the fun stuff. You know, we're we're looking at the book of Acts and all these different things, all these Holy Ghost encounters. We're going to come and celebrate that. All right, the old church, we're going to get our organ out. You know what I mean? And we're going to yeah. have fun. We're going to celebrate Talk of Tongues, yeah. full service. And I was looking at that Sunday and everything in me was saying, I cannot preach a traditional Pentecost Sunday message. Yeah. I cannot go up there and be like, yeah, guys, let's rock the house, you know, and have a great time yep. when there are people who are hurting, when there are people who are crying. So I went up on that Sunday with what I felt was a deep conviction given to me of the Holy Spirit saying, you are not allowed to preach a traditional message. Mm -hmm. You need to talk about what I want to talk about. And that point, which I may get a lot of trouble, you know, for saying this particular phrase, which is crazy, is... The whole point of that sermon was not only the fact that, yes, Jesus came to save you, was not only the fact that Jesus came to heal you, but if I can be honest, the point of that message was, yes, black lives matter. Just like your life matters. Everybody's life matters. We can get that. We can talk about it. We can understand yeah. that. But the biggest thing right now 
is if that phrase causes something to ruffle your feathers, if that phrase, if that statement alone, yeah. let's not talk about an organization, let's not talk about a group of people right now, let's just talk about that one statement. If that one statement ruffles your feathers, makes you sick, makes you irritated, or it causes you to revert back right away with, no, all lives matter. My follow-up thing is, is Matthew 5, Jesus' Beatitudes, mm -hmm. when he said, blessed are the poor. The same people who would say, no, all lives matter, are the same people who say, no, Jesus, blessed are all people. I want to be specific right now with my message. And social justice is not just talking about one group of people, but right now in America where we're living, yeah. that is a demographic that is hurting the yeah. most. So how is it that you would feel in this scenario, how do you address those topics from especially the perspective of an evangelist? All right, because let's be honest, it's not the most popular message to be talking about social justice. Yeah. How do you address that? Biblically, because my opinion means nothing, right. and my opinion's not respected. But when I can hide behind Scripture, and not everybody respects Scripture, and that's to each their own. Right. I happen to believe it's the infallible Word of God, and mm. it's absolute. And so I hide behind Scripture, and if anybody <clears throat> wants to argue a stance, I'm open. I'm ready to have the conversation, but show me Bible. Right. And you said the word in Isaiah, take care of the widow. It's the... Theologians call it the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, the poor. Yes. And so these were the these were the four who were vulnerable in an agricultural society. And I can go off into reasons why, but in agricultural society, the way it was set up in the ancients, it was a monarchy. Um, this they were vulnerable in that society. And so the word justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. Mm -hmm. And that word means these four people have a right. That's what mishpat is. It's someone's rights. Mm -hmm. And to the one who defends their rights, they're called a Sadiq. Mm -hmm. The English word for Sadiq is righteous. Right. <laughs> so you are righteous if you take care of someone's rights. Mm -hmm. If you speak up, in fact, one definition of Mishpat is um, speaking up on somebody else's rights when they don't have a voice. Right. That's what Mishpat is. That's the English word justice, mm -hmm. Hebrew word Mishpat. And you will always see mishpat and sedekah put together, justice and righteousness. Mm -hmm. So let me just give a little history lesson of that, where that started. If you look in the Bible in the Old Testament, when Josh was going into the new promised land, they're setting up all the different um, tribes and they're, you know, divvying up the land. You know, to this tribe, you're going to get that parcel of land to that tribe, so on and so forth. Well, the Levites got no land. Because God has already said that my presence is your inheritance. Wow. So the Levites were like, okay, we don't get land. How do we eat? Mm -hmm. And God said, well, I'm going to have the people defend your mishpat, your justice. And this shall be justice unto them and righteousness. If they bring a tenth of their food to the house of God, this will make sure that you have food to eat. And then God said, okay, we also have others that are vulnerable in the society. Widows are vulnerable. Their husband was the landowner, so now the widows have no land. How do they eat? The immigrants, they got no land here because this is the Israelites. So how, how are the immigrants going to be fed? What about the, um, the orphan? What about the poor? And God set up a perfect system in that society, in this ancient civilization. He said, to the corners of your fields, hmm. don't, don't take that. Basically, the thought behind that is don't, um, or rather, give from your excess. Mm. 
What's in the middle of the field is yours. What's on the outer skirts, give that to the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. Don't be stingy. Don't be stingy. Wow. You have what you need. Wow. Why do you need all of that extra to store it up into a a, a, a storehouse to where it will rot? Welcome to and, America. And they got that. Yeah, yeah the fastest growing uh, the fastest growing <laughs> business in America right now. Yes. Are storage units. Wow. That's the fastest growing business in North America to store our junk that we won't get rid of or give away. I don't believe I personally I don't believe in garage sales. Mm -hmm. If I have something I want to get rid of, I give it away. Wow. Who has a need for this? Why am I trying to <clears throat> recoup my money from it? You see what I'm saying? I'm giving from my excess. Wow. The thing with here's where we get the uh, the mind. Uh, uh, we get a little bit of a short circuit in our brain is because wheat rots. Mm -hmm. And they were like, we need to we need to give this food away before it gets canker worms and before it rots. Right. So we're going to give this away because, yeah, we can't keep it anyway. However, money saves. Mm -hmm. So we don't give our money. Right. Because we can save it. Right. So we have a we have a very, very tricky situation. Anyway, you, you go through the narrative and whenever Israel got away from taking care of the vulnerable, mm -hmm. speaking up on their rights, they were no longer righteous. Mm -hmm. Then you get Isaiah who stands up and he was like, guys, you're forsaking the one thing that God told us was what made us unique. Wow. We defended one another. Wow. This was a society where there was there was no need for the death of any for the continued life of something else. That's the garden. They didn't have to kill animals. They ate from nuts and fruit and they had plenty. Wow. That's the thought process. Nothing had to die in that society. Wow. So in the Israelite society, the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, the poor, they were everybody. They were beating down the doors. It's the whole story of, of Ruth. She was an immigrant. She's like, I got to go to Israel. That place has got it going on. Wow. <laughs> That's the church. Mm -hmm. They had six cities of refuge they set up. That if something happened, you can flee to the city and be safe. This this was this was Israel. So I'm just gonna go through the narrative really quick. When they got away from that, the prophets came in and said, Your sacrifices, your holy assemblies, they're disgusting in the eyes of God. The incense that's rising up, it's a stench in his nostrils. This is what Isaiah says. I would that you would do well, that you would look after the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. He says, You have forsaken Mishpat, mm -hmm. and you are no longer righteous. Look at Isaiah, I believe it's 63. It's either 63 or 68. They fast because God is like giving them this prophet. And he's giving a hard word. So they go on this fast. And the prophet stands up, Isaiah, and he's like, what are you doing? You know, it was like, all you're doing is just starving yourself. Mm. Wow. And this is what he says. He says, is this God's chosen fast? No, this is God's chosen fast. That you would feed the hungry. Oh, my God. Take care of the poor. So essentially what you're seeing there is like, while I'm taking food out of my mouth, I may as well put it in someone else's. But we fast to get more spiritual. No, you get you fast to get Jesus. And when you get Jesus, you get a heart for people. Okay, so that's, that's the narrative. Every single prophet, every single prophet, you can't show me one that is not preaching <clears throat> that message. Defend the rights of others. John the Baptist Everybody talks about John the Baptist coming in and like going ham on the Pharisees. And he's all like, you're a brood of serpents and the ax is already at the root. And he's chopping you down. Everybody's all like, man, John was a big bad dude. You know what John was preaching? There were some Pharisees that repented and they said, what must we do? And he said, how many cloaks do you have? And they said, two, go clothe the one who's, who has no cloak. He said, how much food do you have? They were like, we have plenty. He said, go and feed the poor. This is in the gospels, this modern day prophet. And he's the guy who Jesus stood up and said, there's not been one greater. A man who is defending 
the rights of vulnerable people. So let's talk about what ministry is. Jesus came and defended our rights. The Bible calls him a Sadiq. He was, he was, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, yes. the righteous is what he's called. So he was the ultimate Sadiq. What did he do? We could not, we're in a courtroom, and you, I preached about this Wednesday, we cannot defend ourselves in the court of law. So Jesus came in as our lawyer, and he said, I'll speak on your behalf. Wow. He defended us spiritually. Yes. That's why his opening declaration, he quotes Isaiah. He says, I have come to preach liberty. <laughs> I have come to set the captives free. Yes. That was his message. Yes. So righteousness and tzedakah is so woven into the narrative. It's, it's everywhere. I could talk for probably four hours just on righteousness and tzedakah and show you hundreds of scriptures. I think uh, tzedakah, or righteousness rather, mishpat, is 409 times just in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And that's a majority of those are in the prophets because they got away from it. Mm -hmm. In fact, when Hophni and Phinehas did their thing mm -hmm. and we lost the, the presence of God, yes, you know what they were doing? The Bible says it in Hebrew. They were abusing people's mishpat. They weren't speaking up on their rights. Wow. And that was the that was the series of events that caused the Philistines to invade. The Bible called them worthless men, sons of Beelzebub. So let's talk about what ministry is today. Our our calling is to defend each other's rights, spiritually, uh, literally, whatever it is. I should be in a pulpit and I should be preaching. The Lord can save you. And there is always a requirement from the ministry, but you have to turn. But here I am, I'm speaking the word of God, and I'm defending your spiritual rights tonight. So there is a great need, and it is very biblical. So the question was, how do you address this? It's in the Bible. Wow. You can't argue with it. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Prophets were protesters. That's, that's what they did. Oh God, yeah. Prophets went in, and they said, this is what you're doing. This is what you need to fix. And they got killed for it. They they died, but they were called of God to go and to challenge the status quo. And they did it biblically. Every prophet that I can read was an extreme scholar. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to defend something, let's defend it, not based off of opinion, not based off of the, the current climate of the culture, but let's analyze the climate of the culture and let's defend it biblically. Yes. Okay. Not everybody's going to respect Bible. But you can sleep better at night knowing that you spoke the word of God. Mm -hmm. And to this day, somebody would be very hard-pressed to move me off of, off of this because I can show you in 409 places. That's a big deal. So, yeah, we have to do it biblically. Short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I have so many mixed emotions. <laughs> no, I mean, wow. Um we have to do it also biblically. There's the balance. Yes. So as we're defending people's rights, let's defend it biblically. That's a huge problem because as humans, we decide to speak rather um, from knowledge. We'd rather speak off of emotions. Yes. We love to speak from our emotions because our emotions are what we feel. Facts are what we know and what we see. Yes. And since we can't feel the fact, we'd rather stick with the feeling. Right. So the feelings that if I can use that, is my feeling about where we are as a culture and where we are as a society in the church, mm -hmm. okay, the church culture, is I'm never surprised. <clears throat> I'm never surprised when the world is acting like the world. 
Yeah. I'm never surprised. Yes. I'm never surprised when an unbeliever, when a a non-God following Jesus, worshiping, Bible believing Christian person, when somebody who does not follow Christ um, acts one way, I, I don't you know what are they supposed to do you know they don't know um our ways you know what i mean they're not they don't follow what we follow they don't hold to what we hold to i'm not surprised there i'm more and i i shouldn't be but i'm more surprised when the church does not act like the church yeah the people of the way the book of acts church they were known for a lot of things they were known for generosity they were known for sharing everything they had they were known for loving people. They were known for taking children in to the point where there were some rumors. If TMZ was around back then, they would have had a field day with the church. Yeah. All right. There were some rumors going on about the church saying, what are they doing with the kids? What are they doing with this? You know, all these different issues that were going about the church. But the church was being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Yeah. Now, what I'm looking at, and I've said this in private, but there are some occasions where I look at the church and I'm like, are we trying to remarry Rome again? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I don't think that the church is like setting out doing it willy-nilly. I right. think that it's a lack of knowledge. I really yes. do. Yes, yes. I really do. Um, the Mark Brown actually did this survey. The average Bible reading, mm-hmm. is it's it's deplorable. My people perish for lack of knowledge. That's exactly right. How do you now go from, this is how I address it biblically, because first of all, I want to make a statement here. Um, not everybody in the church is like, on the negative side of the spectrum. Yeah, right. All right. There are a lot of Christian people who will stand up for what is right, who will yes. stand up for people who will, who will love people when they're unlovable. They will be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. All right. When you work with people though, not everybody's going to be one side or the other. So you as somebody who, if I can say it this way on the, one of the top tiers of ministry, if I can phrase it that way, when you receive the backlash from somebody, it's not a conversation, but rather they're trying to, uh, not even a joust, but rather they're trying to hit you with it, be like, don't say that. Because, again, it's not popular. Yeah. How do you go from listening to them? How do you respond to that? Humbly, and you trust the process. Like <clears throat> mm. We use the phrase a lot, a paradigm shift. Well, what a paradigm shift is, is when somebody is introduced something that is different from what they've always known is right. What they, what they always do is they reject what they've received and they go, they'll do one of two things. They'll either completely reject it and not address reality. Right. Or they'll go, they'll walk away and they'll analyze and they'll compare all of the new paradigm to their old paradigm. Mm. And it's somewhere near that it shifts. And the thing that's in between that they've said is anger. And so when people get angry, it's, I've done it. You introduce something that has rocked my theology, my world. And so what I do is I go and I research what they have said, and I compare it to everything else, and I go to the Word. And I, when I collect enough evidence to, to overthrow my old paradigm, then I will accept it. But that's a process to do. Wow. And we, w- we would love to have paradigm shifts in a 30-minute church service. It happens, um, but not on, not on these type of topics. Right. You know, this, there's a lot of things that are having to be broken down right now. I mean, within we have American culture, and within American culture, we have all of these smaller cultures. Then you have church culture within American culture. You have all these, and then you have different ethnic cultures. You are, you're fighting a culture, and we have to be patient and let the paradigm shift. Yes. Do the work. Don't get, don't get offended when somebody gets mad at you. 
Oh, so good. When they get mad, just just be like, look, I don't even want to fight because when what we do when somebody gets mad, our anger flares up, and now now we're in a now we're in a firestorm. Mm-hmm. When what probably needs to happen is that needs to be the the mile marker that says, okay, stop. Wow. Let them process what you've said. Wow. Take a step back, and then just this is what I tell people because I've had these hard conversations. I look at them and say, look, you're a smart person. I trust you. You can study it yourself. I have nothing to hide. This is why I stick to Bible wow. within its context and culture and its language. Not my opinion, not my religion. This is what the Bible says. Wow. Go and process it. Take all the time you need. If you have more questions, we'll talk about it. But I'm not going to fight. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fight. And I will I will take everything you've said and compare it to what I've read to make sure my paradigm's right. Wow. But every time your paradigm shifts, there's always first a total rejection and an anger. So so just give people that give people that opportunity because we're not helping anybody by telling them you shouldn't feel that way. Wow. Their paradigm is shifting. No, they it's very real. And there's Bible because Paul comes and he's teaching Jesus Christ dying for our sins. He's teaching the gospel, the good news, he is king. And the Bereans look at him and they're like, "Oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's legit." And Paul's like, "I'm I saw it myself. I studied it." Paul took a 3-year break. Mm-hmm. and studied everything that he experienced when he got knocked off that horse. Today. <clears throat> and so he's preaching to the Bereans and the Bereans are like, we're going to go and study this to see if it's true. Wow. And this is what Paul says. Great are you. Just give people the opportunity to search it and be with them along the journey. Some, their wow. paradigm might shift immediately. I want to stop right there. That was, that was be with them along the journey. Yeah. Just walk with them. That is that is oh my god if we had three hours <laughs> bro that is that is powerful i need everybody to tweet that you know that is powerful be with them along the journey because what we like to do as people is be like if you we stop at the anger part yeah okay not many of us have the maturity to be like all right you're angry let me let you you know rest just on process it, it. Yeah. most of us we want to just but in that moment it's like okay i'm gonna be with you until you figure this out. Yeah. Whether it's three minutes, three hours, or three years, I'll be with you. Right. Not many people have that endurance. How do you find that endurance to be like, all right, I'm going to be with you? For me, it's parenting. Discipleship is parenting. Wow. So my um, my kids, there's seasons and times where like I don't like infants. I really don't. <laughs> I don't like infants at all. I love my toddlers. Yeah. My two, my two year old right now, he's getting to that fun stage. My daughter's turning four uh, next month. I love this stage. Right. But that doesn't mean I was a bad father because I didn't enjoy them being an infant. Mm -hmm. I just knew this is a season. Mm -hmm. This is just a season. I'm going to love them until it gets this, this later point where I'm going to start enjoying them. Wow. Then you hit another season that you don't enjoy. That's discipleship. Wow. And what we would like to do is somebody come to our church, get filled with the Holy Ghost, get them baptized, and we'd just be like, all right, you're on your own. No. So at the moment of conception, interesting Greek word, when Jesus is speaking about casting seed and he's talking about the word, he uses the Greek word sperma. He's literally talking about impregnating something. Mm. He's like, when you speak Bible, you're impregnating. And we have a lot of people out there that are still in the womb. You're a parent before they're born. If we really, if we're Christians and we believe that, you know, life starts at conception, Mm -hmm. well, that is also true in the kingdom. Wow. That the moment you taught a Bible study, that person became your responsibility. 
and you are walking with them, they're in the womb. They haven't even been born yet. They haven't come to the church, got baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. They're not even born yet, but you're still their parent. Wow. You are with them until they're born. And then when they're born, you just signed up for life. Wow. <laughs> I don't like the phrase soul winning. I don't like the phrase soul winning. Oh, attack that. Come because on. Come on. winning implies that you finish something. Tweet that. We're not, we're not done. Wow. This is never done. This is wow. why Paul, when he addresses the disciples at said church, he says, my little children. This is why John, he <laughs> yes. says, my little children, I'm writing unto you. This is wow. why Jesus called his disciples his children. Wow. Because Jesus knew. He's like, this is forever. Wow. My mind just got blown. I'm the father. So <laughs> yeah, that's the process. And I look at my children, and that's how I, when somebody, my kids get angry at me. My daughter gets angry at me all the time when I'm telling her what I know is right for her. Mm -hmm. And my wife is way better at this than me. She actually sent me a screenshot today oh. teaching me how to, she was like, you know, when, when Eleanor gets angry, that's my daughter. When she gets angry, you know, she's sitting, this is literally just happened today. She said, when she gets angry, just sit with her and say, why are you angry? Talk and, with her. Wow. And my daughter doesn't know why. So my daughter's trying to talk it out with us. And I say, okay, look, that's a real emotion. This is, this is what daddy says is right. I want to give you time, go to your room and figure it out, process it, and then come out here and then do what daddy says. That's how we're choosing to raise our kids. And that's forever. That's going to be when she's, when she's getting married someday, she's going to call her mom and dad someday, hopefully, and be like, hey, is this the right one? I'm going to say, process your emotions and go and pray about it. Let God tell you, and then I'll tell you what is wise. This is forever. And so when we're discipling people, we're not finished. The job's never done. Mm. So why are we trying to win? Like, good luck winning 1,000 people a year. Can you disciple those babies? No. Wow. Oh, man, I better be careful with what I'm about to say. <laughs> go ahead. This is, a, this is an open podcast. Go ahead. What we're, what's happening in the kingdom is we have, we have welfare where we're having babies and we want the church to take care of it. We're having babies in the kingdom, and we want the government to provide for us. When Jesus is looking at you and saying, no, that's your baby. No, if you want to have 100 of them, you know, that's great, but can you take care of 100 of them? And are you wise enough to put them up for adoption and let somebody who can, who can't have babies, take care of them? That's what we need in the kingdom. I'm about to go run the aisles <laughs> right now. My God, you know, that's that, that is a huge issue. Yeah, that is a huge issue because <clears throat> we want the pastor to do it all. We want the pastor to do it all. We want the deacon board. We want the minister board to yeah. handle all the stuff instead of the church being the church. Right. You know, we have this hierarchy, which, you know, I, I do respect tradition. I love, tradi you know, yeah. I, I respect it so much, but we have this crippling mentality for the average layman. If I can use it, uh, mm -hmm. that word, um, just says, I'm not going to baptize this person. I have to wait till pastor so-and-so comes here, or I'm not going to teach this Bible study. I have to wait till Reverend so-and-so comes here. Or I have to, I'm not going to be a Christian. I'll let the pastor be the Christian for 90 right. minutes, you know? Instead of the church being the church, it was crazy to me how I was reading the book of that, uh, book of that. Yeah, I can't talk right now. My mind is gone. Um, you did it to me. I blame oh, you. <laughs> yeah, I was reading the book of Acts um, earlier uh, last week, and I was reading the part where I believe it was Peter um, because there was problems going on in the, in the early church and they were bringing it to 
the disciples and they were saying, look, it, we need to have a food drive and so-and-so isn't handling business. And Peter's like, look, I need to what spend my time preaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a, this isn't my problem. Here's Stephen, you know. Yeah. Crazy thing about it, though. This is the part that I want to get to, um, that we need to move on to the next thing, because I want to just, I want to get this engraved into somebody's head right now. The food drive person, he's in charge of the food. He's in charge of the tamales. He's in charge of the tacos. He's in charge of the grill. The food, yeah. the chef person goes and preaches a sermon about Moses and how Jesus is greater than Moses and Jesus fulfilled the law. Yeah. And he gets killed for being a preacher, not for being a chef. Not yeah. for being a food drive person. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, like, what you're saying is we have so many people who are walking into our doors, so many Christians who are walking into our doors, and instead of trying to be fruitful and multiply mm -hmm. and taking care of their fruit, no gardener, my father's a gardener, he's done it since I was born, all right? Just because the tomato's grown, it doesn't mean you stop taking care of the plant. That's right. So... Last question because we're we're going in and we we need to get you back first of all because I I'm enjoying yeah. this so much seriously I'm learning so much off of this. Um, the last question I want to get to: What was it? Because right now we talked about social justice, we talked about COVID, we talked about you know pretty much a spiritual welfare system. Yeah. What was uh, what was it in your life? What was if I can say it this way? What was your it moment? That was saying, AJ, this is this is my fight. This is my ministry. This is my moment. This is this is my thing that I'm gonna stick with until the end of the game. Man, the it moment for me was actually January of this year. Um, as far as this is who I am, if that's if that's the question you're asking, who I am, this is what I'm gonna do, this is what I'm gonna pursue, and just owning that, that actually was this year. Mm. Um, I have not said that, said this here yet in California, but January of this year, I was on a fast. I go on a fast at the beginning of the year to evaluate God, is this still what you want me to do? And so I was doing that this year for evangelizing and I did something different this year. I literally, I was like, okay, if I'm going to not put food in my mouth, if I'm going to take something out of my mouth then I'm going to take the words out as well. And I went on a silent fast for three days. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't speak. And I said, God, I said, I need you to put a word in my mouth. And to do that, I'm going to shut my mouth. And for three days, total silence. Um, my wife was uh, at her parents' house, so I was able to do it. So it was on day three of that three-day fast. I was in prayer, and I was just meditating in, in the room. And God just poured on me a vision that I had changed my life. Mm. The vision that I saw, I was standing in heaven, and I was on the shoulder of God. He was a giant. And standing in front of him was a huge desk. It was just enormous. And I saw in front of him a bookshelf, endlessly long. It went in both directions, uh, left and right. Couldn't see the end or the beginning of it. Billions of books everywhere. Hmm. And he reached up and he grabbed a book off the top shelf and had my name written on the edge of it. He put that book on the desk, opened it up, page one. He started writing. First, I'm going to give him his first sermon at the age of five. Turn the page. I'm going to allow him to be raised in the pastor's home. Turn the page. I'm going to allow him to see a church split. And he's going to be very bitter towards ministry. I'm going to let all that happen, turning page after page after page. Then he's going to go to Florida. And he's going to baptize eight gang members in a water fountain. And that'll be the night that he sees what ministry is. And I saw the Lord writing feverishly. I saw him get to the point where I met my wife. He orchestrated that. I saw when we had our son, he orchestrated that. Our daughter, 
our, our, the death of our son. Everything was just orchestrated. I saw tears coming down off his face and it was staining the pages of my book. And I'm watching all this in high def, it felt like. And then finally he skips a huge piece of the book that I didn't get to see and he goes to the back. And on the last page, he said, destined for heaven. Close the book, he put a leather strap over the top of it, poured hot wax on it and sealed that book shut. He picked the book up and I watched him, he embraced it, he nurtured it. And then he threw it over the side of the balcony of heaven. And I jumped off of his shoulder and I wanted everything that was in that book. I knew in my mind, I have to have everything that was written. And so I'm falling through the air and I saw my mom on her knees. She was praying and she, her, the words came out of her mouth that I later asked her about. I asked her what her prayer was and she told me verbatim what I heard in that vision. She was on her knees. She said, Lord, if you will give me a prophet to the nations, then I will dedicate him to you. And she caught that book. And then I saw myself standing near her and she looked at me and she nurtured and she raised this book. She loved it, her and my father. And then she handed me that book and I watched myself. I tore the wax seal off the top of that book. And when I did, the vision ended and God spoke these words to me. He said, every soul on this planet has a pre-written story for them. He said, for those whom I did foreknow, them did I predestine to be conformed into the image. Yes. And he said, however, he said, even though they're all destined for heaven, not all of them are coming. And I said, why? Why can't everybody come to heaven? And God spoke to me. He said, it has everything to do with that wax seal. I said, well, what is that wax seal? He said, that's my will. Or your will, rather. He said, it's not until you can break your will can I be the author and the finisher. So consider what David says in Psalms. I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful all that works. Oh, Lord, my soul knoweth it right well. And he goes on and he talks about, you saw my embryo, the Hebrew word is golem. You saw my embryo when I was woven into the womb in the lowest depths of the earth, talking about the, the womb. Is it not written in the volume of thy books of me? That's what it says. Think about Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, where he says, before, I, before you were born, I knew you, and I separated you as a prophet to the nations, is what he tells him. And then he tells him, he's like, it's all pre-written, Jeremiah. I don't, I don't care that you're young. I don't care that you don't think you can speak. Follow the script I've written. And then Jeremiah stands up in Jeremiah 29, 11, and he quotes that verbatim to a whole room of books, a whole uh, field of books. And he says, the Lord has thoughts of you, thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Mm. They're mm. slaves at this point. They're slaves right. in Babylon. And he looks at them and says, Lord has thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. <laughs> it was all written. It's pre-written. And so when I had that vision, that was when I was just like, my, my fast was, is this what I am? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And God's, God showed me. He said, I have every page. And the way you turn pages to the next chapter is saying, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't stress anymore about being a good preacher. Mm. I don't stress about... Is anybody going to invite me back? That's good. That's what I used to stress over, admittedly. That's good. And so now I just look at it and I say, God, I am going to love your people. Wow. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be a student of your word. I'm going to be spiritual. I'm not going to be carnal. I'm going to do everything that I know your word tells me to do. Wow. And with that, you are going to, you're going to be the one who <clears throat> makes a way for all of this. I mean, God, God's my booking agent. I have not had to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, hey, can I come preach for you? And I, I told God, I said, God, if you wrote me to be an evangelist, then you've got it all pre-written. It's all, it's all out there. All I have to do, my greatest job is dying. Wow. 
breaking my own will. That was the it moment for me that was like, what I am is dead and I'm in his hands now. And I'm like this puppet on a string where God has the handle. That's the life I'm trying to live. And whatever venue, whatever ministry that turns into, it was what was written. You know, evangelist, that's what I'm doing right now. If he, does, if he has me doing this till the day I die, I'm, I would be grateful because I love what I, I get to do for God right now. Wow. But if it gets to a point where it dries up, well, then there's another chapter. I don't stress about that anymore. I just, I don't worry about it because it's finished. And on the cross, he put the period on his book. And he said, it's finished. I did what I came to do. I came to die. This doesn't look successful to you, does it? Because people didn't want what Jesus was really coming to do. They wanted somebody who was going to war against Rome. Mm -hmm. That's why they chose Barabbas. Yes. He was a nationalist. He was killing Romans. And they're like, if Barabbas is the Hebrew word for son of a father. And they had the presented before them, they had the son of God or the son of a father. And they picked a pseudo version <laughs> because he was there to fix their problems in the natural. And Jesus was like, I'm going to war against the spirit behind Rome. Wow. Wow. And you want you want Rome taken care of. You want to make Israel great again. That's, that's literally that was the nationalist motto. Let's make let's bring Israel back to its former glory. And Jesus is over there like, I'm doing something new. I am going against the spirit behind Rome. I'm going to disarm these principalities. Wow. Nailing it to the cross is what Paul said. And Jesus, on the cross, he was like, this was my ministry. Doesn't look successful to you, does it? This is what I came to do. And that's, I have to, I have to get to a place in my spirit, in my mind, that says, I'm okay if I die a social death, so long as it was written. If it is, let's, and I know I'm taking a second here, but I feel You're like fine. the Holy Ghost. You're fine. We need to redefine what success is. We're looking wow. for success right here on this planet. I'm looking for success in heaven. Wow. I want heaven to know my name. Wow. If earth was a sitcom and heaven is sitting there and all the angels on their couch eating popcorn, do they, am I a background character? Or do they look at it and say, tune in next week, AJ Holloway is going to obey the Lord again. Am I the main character in heaven? Does heaven, am I famous there? None of this matters, man. Heaven is what matters. And does heaven know my name and say, that dude is nailing it because he is following God. He is dead. That's the it moment for me. So I don't get offended. I don't get upset if I don't get invited back to a church. I'll analyze myself to make sure, you know, if I did something dumb, that's possible. I'm, I'm a human. I'll analyze it. I'll ask. I'll ask my wife. I'll ask God. But ultimately, if I'm doing what God has called me to do, that's that's enough. And it's good. Just just admit it. Say, good. I'm not I'm not that evangelist. I'm not that preacher. I can't articulate like that. I can't do that. But I am doing what was written of me. And in God's eyes, it's good. <laughs> and we need a revelation of looking at ourselves through God's eyes and just saying, It's good. That's good. It's good. And that's that's how I'm living my life right now. That is a huge man, that is a huge not very many people can look at what they're doing and say it's enough. Yeah, unfortunately. Because as the Apostle Paul writes, he says, don't compare yourselves by yourselves. Mm -hmm. We look at someone else's ministry. We look at someone else's career, someone else's business, someone else's education, someone else's bank account or family life. 
and we're like, it's, I can show a biblical narrative for that too. <laughs> it's not, it's not enough. Yeah. I, I've, and I'm going to be honest on air. Good God. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm like, you know, I was wrestling with the Lord and it was actually my first real wrestling match with the Lord ever. It was one of those moments where I, I was praying on a Wednesday night service and I was pacing so hard. I was angry. And I have this, I have an honest relationship with the Lord where number one, he's God. He could be honest with me, whether I like it or not, but I have the type of relationship where I won't run away yeah. <laughs> you know, after he tells me you're an idiot, <laughs> you, know? Right, right. you know, um, strong language alert. Sorry. <laughs> um, but I was pacing back and forth and the Lord spoke to me and he said, what's your problem? And I said, I really don't want to talk to you about it right now because I don't want to get struck with lightning. <laughs> you know. But I told him, I said, paraphrase, I feel like what I'm doing is not enough mm. because I'm not doing this. I'm stuck here, but I'm not doing that. Yeah. And he spoke to me. And he said, isn't influencing this amount of people and doing this and he started showing me pictures and faces and stories. And he said, isn't that enough for you? Mm. Yeah. It's the parable of the talents. And I spoke to him. And this is my response. Human response, very human. I'm probably going to be called very carnal <laughs> in this moment. But I looked to him and I said, no. But I want it to be. Yeah. Because I don't want to be jealous of the person who's doing what I want to do. Yeah. I want it to be enough. Yeah. And it's not enough yet. So I'm still pacing. Mind you, I'm still pacing back and forth angry. All right. It's like I'm making a beeline for either direction. And I felt the Holy Spirit moving away to a different direction. And I was like, no, 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 no. You come back. Yeah. You come back because I'm not done with you right now. This conversation is not over until I get an answer from you. And he responded back, I think God has sass. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. You got an attitude. I think he's Latino sometimes. Yeah. Right. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. Yeah. Um, and he responded back. He said, what do you want me to say? I can't answer it for you. Hmm. You got to answer it yourself. And I stopped pacing. And I struggled with that. And it wasn't until, <clears throat> excuse me, um, last week where this uh, particular student comes up to me and I ask him how they do. Mind you, I'm irritated. Mm-hmm. Not with the Lord, I'm just irritated in a situation. And they ask me, and they come up to me and I'm like, are you okay? You know, just normal question. Mm-hmm. I just break down. Mm-hmm. That very moment I sat down with them and I listened to them and their stuff and everything. I walked with them through it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, isn't this enough for you? Mm. Yeah. Because this is what I called you for. And that was the moment where I was able to say yes. Yeah. I think for everybody in their life, they have to come to that place where it's, I may not be doing everything that I want to do, but in this current season, Mm -hmm. this is enough. It doesn't mean that you're not aggressive. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not trying to move forward and progress. That's that's actually what Shabbat or Sabbath is. Is where you stop and you say, This is good. It's it's not finished, but it's done. I mean you literally look at the look at Genesis. 
God stopped after creating on day seven, and he looked and he said, it's good. The earth wasn't done. He, he told him, he said, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Multiplication hadn't happened yet. The earth was <clears throat> not finished. And he stopped in the middle of process and said, what's been done is good. Wow. And that's, that's what we need to adapt in our day-to-day -day lives when we Shabbat. The word Shabbat is cease in Hebrew. That's, Shabbat is the English word, or is the Hebrew word of Sabbath. We just need to stop. Solomon's story is a story of not enough. He kept pushing for more and more and more and more. And what it got him was he lost the kingdom. His kingdom split because of it. It's, we, have, we need to ditch the grind and learn how to cease. Mm. We do. That is a lesson in America. God has taught us in the past eight months due to COVID how to stop. And people, some people just still aren't getting it. You know, my world stopped three years ago, and I took a one-year Sabbath. I was given the opportunity to, and I'm thankful for that. But I didn't preach. I didn't do anything for a year. And that year is probably the, the largest year of growth for me. So, yeah, we need to learn how to just stop and say it's good. It's not finished. God still has more, but right now what he's done is good. My daughter, we love to get her little toys and stuff. We travel as evangelists everywhere we go. They have a little gift basket, and she has toys every week. And we're trying to train her through that. But it hurts me as a father when I go and get her a gift, and she comes. She goes, Daddy, can I have another toy? And I, it broke my heart. It literally did the other day. And I wow. was like, I said, Eleanor, is it not good enough that Daddy got you a toy? Wow. You, you're so you're already at four, so American that you need more. Wow. And that's I've had to view that through God's eyes. In my prayer, when I'm praying, asking for more and more, God is like, is it not enough what I've given? So we just, let's just stop and let's just enjoy what we've done through Christ. And then tomorrow, let's go after more. But then after that, striving, let's stop. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> I think... This has been amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm like shocked. I'm rocked right now. Um, Brother Edge, I want to say thank you so much um, you. for being here on this conversation with me. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners, all of our viewers. Um, please follow us on our Instagram, Our God Will Save Us, um, at Instagram. Um, we have our website, OurGodWillSaveUs.com, our YouTube channel, Our God Will Save Us on YouTube channel. It's really, it's really it. Keep following us. We're going to put this on our Spotify, too. Um, it's going to be awesome. We're going worldwide with this message um, that we can have conversations. We can sit down at a square table for now, round table later. <laughs> um, and be sure to please follow um, AJ Holloway on his Instagram. We will have a link down below to his Instagram and his social media. And um, yeah, he might be preaching out of town near you. Um, God bless you and I'll see you soon. Thank you. <laughs>